Welcome to the Game Breakers podcast, where we look to bring you tips, insights, and experience from the world of sport. My name is Rob Nicolay, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Danny Wilson. But today, we are joined by former Leeds Rhinos, London Broncos, Mackay Cutters, and most notably, Hull Kingston Rovers player, and former uh, City of Hull Academy head coach, and now Hull Kingston Rovers head of youth coaching, uh, Jason Everton. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Hi, Rob. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Danny? I always wait till you introduce me like that, Rob. It's very, very welcoming. Hi, Jace. Thanks for giving up your time, mate. Looking forward to catching up. Cheers, mate. No, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's good to see you both again. It's been a long time. Hope you're doing well. Not too bad. We'll kick off um, with obviously the first question, which we, we've been asking everybody in terms of you as a person. So, obviously, you as a player to, to what you are now and, and as a coach. Just describe Jason Everton as a person. Um. Interesting. I'd, li- I'd like to hear other people describe me. <laughs> Probably be different to how I would. Uh, I think. I think I work hard. In terms of my work ethic, I, I do work hard. I put the hours in, and I think that's a reflection of what I would like as a player. Uh, t- something I've taken into coaching as well. I think to do your best, you have to work as hard as you can, and, and that's what I try to do. Um, and I'm pretty focused on what I want to do, and I'm determined which is, again, a reflection of what I was like as a player. Uh, it's something that I like to live my life by and uh, I'm going to continue to do so. And I think probably what I built a career around as a player is, is someone who worked hard and um, and taken that into my career in coaching as well. Do you think, Jase, over time, from being a young kid to now, your, your personality has changed or... or how you are over that period or has it been the same? Uh, I think it's mellowed believe it or not Um, now I've calmed down a lot from when I was younger I was very headstrong when I was younger very determined to achieve what I wanted to achieve and whilst I'm still determined like that now I think off the field I'm a lot calmer I used to be a bit loose when I was younger Um, got myself in a bit of bother which is a lesson I try and tell the players now but nowadays, you know, the thought of going out and having a drink, it just it, it scares me. I just don't do it anymore. Um, I prefer to I prefer to sit in and watch watch Super League on TV or something like that. So I think that's changed stuff off the field. Uh, in terms of, like I said, my coaching and that, not much has changed. I'm still uh, still have that work ethic. I still have that determination to succeed. Whether I will or I won't, I don't know. But I'll I'll never stop trying, and I don't think you can you can ever do more than try your best um, that's all I tell my players to do that's all I've ever done as a player and, and I'll only ever do as a coach is try my best and if it's good enough fantastic if it's not I can look myself in the mirror yeah absolutely we just again building on you uh, you have two beautiful daughters and we spoke a little bit before we came on about what that's like in lockdown um, what, what values obviously you talk about work ethic and things like that how do you try and instill them or what values that you hold would you like them to take off off their own man yeah thanks um the lesson i always tell well Edie's a bit small to be to be getting lessons off me uh, other than you know no you can't eat chocolate <laughs> put that coca-cola down um, that is. <laughs> lesson i i always tell tilly is again you probably hear it a lot from me today is, is just do your best uh example Actually, we've done this morning. We're doing some schoolwork. Obviously, she's been homeschooled now, and she gets quite frustrated and sometimes a bit upset when she can't answer questions or uh, she gets a question wrong in maths or whatever. The lesson I always say to her is, "Just do your best, darling. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. Um, you can't do any more than than your best. So, you know, you do your best. Try and answer this question correctly. And if you can't, we'll sit down and we'll go through it together. And you know, you don't need to get upset about it. And that's probably what I'll, you know, how I'll, how I'll try and parent them children as they're growing up. Because like I said a minute ago, that's that's all I've ever done, is done my best. Um, and you've got to be happy with that. If you do your best and fail, doesn't matter, does it? Because you can look yourself in the mirror and, and that's something I try and instill in, in Tilly and I will do in Edie when she gets a bit older. And, um, you can You can kind of add stuff to that, add some skills to that, depending on what you want to do. But as long as you're trying your best and you're trying your hardest, um, you're never going to go wrong. 
That's outstanding. I think, as you're now in your position, now in your job professionally, you see all the players with all the talent and don't do that. How does that make you feel? It, fr- it, it frustrates me. It, it, when I first started coaching, we'll probably touch on it a bit later, it really, I didn't understand it. I just didn't get it. When I first came to be City of Old coach or even when I was coaching the scholarship with Rob before then at Old Care, coming from the environment I did in the Super League environment, everyone did the best. You know, you tried your hardest using an elite environment. And when I came into academy and I saw kids that wasn't trying as hard as they can or wasn't living the lifestyle of a rugby league player, I couldn't, I couldn't get my head around why you would not do that because it's such a great career and a lifestyle. And uh, It took me a long time to work out that some people are just laid back or some people don't want to do it as much as other kids. Um, I try and make sure now you treat each, each player as an individual. Some, you know, you, you, what you need to do is work out you know, who is leading that life, who is trying the best, who is you know, determined and try and make sure that the ones that aren't don't rub off on the ones that are. Um, try and keep them separate or focus on the ones that are and tell them not to integrate too much with the ones that aren't. Uh, and make sure that you're putting enough attention and effort into the ones that want to get there. Uh, it took me a long time. I'm still working out now. I just It's something because I've never been in that position where I haven't done my best. Uh, I had to do my best, otherwise I would never get picked and I wouldn't have had a career. So it's, it's taken me a long time to, to kind of work out why someone wouldn't want to do the best. Uh, it's an ongoing thing, I suppose. You, you mentioned your career there. Hull lad, played at West Hull, signed professional for Leeds. Can you just take us through your playing journey from that point up until when you decided to hang your boots up um, <coughs> and the challenges and, and things like you faced along the way? Yeah, I, um, I played at West Hull as an amateur up to under 16s and then um, I got a letter through the door randomly didn't know it was coming I got a letter through the door inviting me to a training weekend in Leeds and it was uh, it was from Dean Bell who you know all the people know is he's a legend in the game I think he won eight challenge cups in a row uh, Man of Steel Captain of Wigan you know I got a letter off Dean Bell it was you know amazing um so I went to this weekend and had a real good training weekend and then they asked me to sign for Leeds the following week. So I went and met Dean Bell and, and Bob Pickles, the head scout. I basically signed there for three years uh, and it went from there. I ended up spending five years at Leeds. Um, I came through the system with that elite group of Leeds players. You, you, Rob Burrow, Danny Maguire, Chev Walker's kind of area and for me, I just wasn't quite good enough to get through into that lead system and, and have a sustained career there. Unfortunately, I would have been nine grand finals better off if I did. Um, I just wasn't. I just didn't have enough skill and talent to get through there, so I had to move. And the move to OKR came just at the right time for me. Uh, some issues personally, I'd split up with my girlfriend. I wanted to come back to Hull. OKR offered me that opportunity, and I came here. And, from the moment I walked through the door, I just loved it. Okay, I love the people, I love the players, I love the feel of the place. And yeah, I was lucky enough to spend the next 10 years there. Um, met some fantastic people on the way and, and kind of went out on my own terms. My last game I ever played professionally was, was my, my testimonial game, which you know for me was, was a dream to come true. Um, I probably shouldn't have played in it, I was out of shape. Not done any training for about five months. <laughs> but yeah, it was my last game. I loved it. I had Tilly there as my mascot and all my family there to see me go out and you know, really enjoy my time. Um, it was fantastic to be at that club for 10 years as a player. I don't think it, you know, many people have done it since. Um, so it's a, it's a record that I'm proud of. Yeah, like we say, a fantastic uh, career in Super League, spanning you know, around 15 years. And you've touched on it there about just doing your best, but you know, what is your, what was your secret, do you think? Effort, Rob. It was effort. I, I quickly realised that I didn't have the skill of other players. I wasn't as fast as other players. I wasn't as strong or powerful. Uh, but what I did have, I was an average player, but I had a, a better than average work ethic. And I had to. I realised that very early that if I ever 
dropped my standards from my best, then I wouldn't be in the team and I wouldn't be at a club. So I had to make sure that every single session I left every bit of myself out there, whether it be a gym session, I'd make sure my gym partner was stronger than me so that I he would push me or I would push myself to try and beat him. Um, if we was doing fitness, I'd make sure I'm stood next to someone who was a bit better than me. Not I wouldn't stand next to someone who was ridiculously better than me and they'd leave me, but someone who I knew would drive me on. Uh, and I just lived that way. I had to, because if I didn't, I'd be, I wouldn't be in the team. And that, you know, I made a career out of that. I made a career. There's, there's plenty of players that have been and gone that was much better players than me. Um, but I probably outlasted them because, you know, you know, I bust my ass for the team. And I think the players that I played with probably appreciated that a bit. You let them express themselves a little bit more knowing that, you know, the, the stuff that they don't want to do, I probably would do. <laughs> like you say, a long time at hockey, uh, uh, and all down to them kind of qualities, which are commendable. And to do it for such a period of time, you know, mentally, there must have been times when you'd had enough. How did you overcome that? Uh, I paid for it. Uh, you know, I had that many injuries. Um, I was just thinking about it this morning. I dislocated my shoulder three times. Uh, I've had both wrists operated on twice, so that's four operations on my wrists. Um, Talk about adversity. I broke my leg. I got picked to go to Australia when I was 16 for England um, to do a tour around Australia for England schoolboys. And two weeks, three weeks before it was due to fly out, I broke my leg playing for Leeds Academy, um, which was a setback at the time. I was devastated. I was only a young 16-year-old boy, so mentally I wasn't prepared for it. But I told myself that I would make it in two years' time when there was another tour in the academy. And that was my goal. I set a goal then. I was going to bust my backside to make sure I was on that tour. And, and um, I, I got on the tour. I was lucky. Every single time I got dropped from the team, which was a few, <laughs> I made sure the next week I turned up training and I asked the coach what I needed to improve. And I went out and improved that. Um, there's been plenty of setbacks on the way, but I just think if you're working hard, you've got that work ethic you're not going to go far wrong. You can't fail. You can't fail if you do your best. You might not succeed, but I think there's a difference in not succeeding, not not achieving what you want to achieve and not doing your best. Um, when you're talking in there, there's a lot of accountability. You know, straight away you go to your coach asking what, you know, what you can do to improve to get in the team rather than it being anybody else's fault. That's a lot of accountability. And, and as soon as you, you don't get in that Australia tour, it's not... Feeling sorry for yourself, it's right, okay, well, what's the next step? How to move yeah, forward? Yeah, it had to be. And again, that's, you know, that's what we tell our players now, isn't it? That you're accountable to yourself. I, I remember being in meetings with you, Dan, when you've said to players, you know, it's about them, it's about that player. That player's going to succeed because of the work that he does. That player's going to fail because of the work that that player doesn't do. It's, you know, you take your coach out of it. He's not going to knock on your door. In 10 years' time, when he's had a fantastic career and say, Danny, here's a part of my wage, you've got to accept that it's down to you as an individual. You, you know, you've got to be accountable. And I, I realise that in my career, that it's nobody else. It's nobody else's fault. It's, it's me. Um, nobody else can drag me up in the morning when I don't want to get up. No one else can drag me to training or out on the pitch when my shoulder's hurting or I can say to the coach, oh, you know, my knee's hurting, I can't train. If I missed the training session, I didn't get picked the following week because someone else had trained. That's how I looked at it. And rightly or wrongly, I probably played through some stuff that I shouldn't have done. You know, various concussions and stuff where nowadays in the, with the science you've got, you think you can't do it. But back then, it was, I need to be on that field. And that's just kind of how I, I always thought of myself as a player and what I had to do. Um, like I said, it, it got me a career. I was very lucky. To, to do what I did for as long as I did. You use that word, you use it twice, lucky. Um, probably listen to that, it's probably big to differ. You say skillful. Mentally, you seem to be pretty sound in that area. Uh, and as a result, you had some success at Hulk Air. Um, taught, obviously, loved the club. And now when we talk to you, it's clear. What was your biggest uh, success at Hulk Air and your biggest memories? Oh, biggest memories, proudest moments for me at Hulk the obvious one is the grand final win over Widnes, um to get the club into Super League. And at the time, I remember 
it didn't hit me as much as when I look back on it now because I was in the moment and I just had a game to do, to win and a job to do. And it was only after the game, and I remember it probably to the day I die. I remember being in the changing room and seeing people crying, like Colin Hutton and Phil Lowe. And I just remember thinking, what, this is what this means to these people at the club. And, um, and that kind of got me emotional back then. And, and that's when it probably hit home that what we'd done, we got the club back to where they need to be. There'd been some pretty dark times. Okay, I Rob will tell you is on yourself as, as you know, people who've grown up with OKR. Um, some dark times at the club when they've gone into administration and fell out of leagues and, um, you know, possibility of not existing anymore to, to then being in Super League. It was such an achievement. And then probably better than that was the survival next year when everyone had written us off. Uh, and the manner in which we did it, we started the year off on fire. I think we won three of our first four games. We was top of the league. And then we lost like 16, 17 on the bounce, but no one looks at that anymore. <laughs> uh, but then to get the you know the few wins at the end, and to do it, you know at Hull FC you know, against our greatest rivals, and to to really put a score on them to survive. And again, you're seeing people crying and the emotion that it brought out in people. It was a, it was just a wonderful achievement. Uh, so they're the probably two biggest achievements or memories that I'd look back on at OKR as a player. And, they were probably two proudest moments there. Um, I think there was yeah, yeah, something I'll always remember. Any regrets for <clears throat> your career? Regrets? I don't. I don't have any regrets as a player, Rob. No, because like I said, I always did my best. And I think if you do, you can't regret anything. Like when you've done your best, yeah. There's things that I wish had have happened differently, um, but they're never not based on me doing my best. So I can't. I can't be upset about that. I think if there's anything I wish I'd have done differently, looking back now, is I wish I had played another year. I retired and I know I could have had another year um, as a player and I still would have done a decent job. Uh, but at the time, I was happy with my decision. The only reason I, I maybe wish I hadn't have done now is because they got to the cup final, Challenge Cup final the following year and you know there's a decent chance I would have played in it rather than been sat in the stands. <laughs> Enjoy your new occasion hard. <laughs> well, I think that, yeah, you know, I, I think it was a bit of depression, the reason that, you know, I, I was a bit loose at that time. Um, I was making the transition from playing to, to not playing and it was, it was a tough period and a lot of people go through it. It was a tough um, couple of years for me personally off the field as well as dealing with a retirement. So, you know, if there's anything I would change, I probably would have played another year just, just for the cup final, just to have the chance to play at Wembley. And albeit they got, you know, their asses spanked. Um, just the memory of being in a cup final. And I'm sure if I had played, it would have been a completely different result. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> just what you just mentioned there about, you know, I know I've got another question, but... You mentioned about feeling a bit depressed at that time. It is when you've put everything you have into it to earn that living and that lifestyle. To you know, to finish that, like grieving. You know, what what did you do to overcome that? Drank. <laughs> no, <laughs> How did that it, stop? it was um, it was really tough. I was getting a divorce at the time as well, which didn't help. So there was a lot of stuff for me going on at the time when when I finished playing and. Um, it was really difficult. Luckily for me, I, I got a job with Rob in the youth development at OKR, uh, which I'm sure we'll touch on again a bit later. And that gave me a little bit of a focus, gave me a reason to go. And I, that obviously made that I was, meant that I was still involved at the club and around the place and the people. So it wasn't that bad. It wasn't like, a, you know, I just cut. Um, because I was, I was in a generation, probably the last generation, where we didn't have any plans after the after your career. Nowadays, you know, they get education. The, the kids, um, they get to go through college. It's now legal for them to be in college till they're 18 or in education. Back then it wasn't. We left when I was 16 and that was it. And I was only ever going to be a rugby league player. And I'd never give a second thought to anything else. So to suddenly know that it's coming to an end and go, right, what now? Where's my wage coming from? What am I going to do? I don't have any other passion other than rugby league. Um, it was it was a difficult time, but you get through it. Um, 
and you know I'm really happy now where I am. Yeah, and just just going on to that, obviously you just talked about that transition, you know, into youth development and from being a player into a coach. Just talk us through that and then, you know, has that always been a passion or something that you thought you were gonna go into, or has it grown over time? Do you need know, passion for coaching? I think it's grown. I think it's grown the 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 opportunity I had to come and work with you in, in youth development at OKR, Rob, was it was the choice was simple. Sean Briscoe had the job before me, and he'd left and gone back to um, where's he live, Widnes, Warrington. Warrington, wherever it was. So there was a job there. So pretty much the club had said, look, if you retire now, you can go into this job. It's there for you, or you can carry on playing another year with OKR or somewhere else. But there might not be a job there for you in a year's time. So I, I had to weigh that up against you know the chance of me getting another job anywhere in a year's time. And decided, yeah, I'll quit. Um, I'll retire as a player and I'll step into that job. And it, it wasn't a particular passion. It was it was a job. And then when I got in there and I saw the work you was doing, Rob and Pete, and I was assisting you with a scholarship, and um, I got a little buzz about it, a little bit of a buzz watching you coaching. I'll give you a little big up there. Um, it rubbed off on me and, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's, it's grown over time now to the point where I can't see myself doing anything else. I might have to at some point, but you know I love what I'm doing. I love trying to make a difference with the players, um, trying to have some kind of influence on them positively, whether it be in life or in rugby. And uh, you know, over time, I remember when we started at Cityville Academy again. It wasn't really a passion of mine. I've never been a head coach at any amateur club or anything like that. I'd always hid behind you for the year behind the year before that, Rob, as a scholarship coach, and then. I was assistant coach at 19s behind James Webster with Rob, Rob Willow. And I remember James, didn't, he, he couldn't come when we started. He was two months away when he had another commitment or something. It was left to me and Rob to coach the team. And I'm thinking, I've never coached in, on my own as a head coach in my life. I, I don't know how to plan a session or anything. And kind of got thrown in at the deep end. Uh, and, I, and then I remember thinking in sessions, I really enjoy this. You know, we're making a difference. We're improving these kids. Um, so now, yeah, it, it is my massive passion. I've found myself watching games differently as well now, not just as a fan, just enjoying good rugby. I'll, I'll, I'll analyse teams. Oh, like this team decide, like they like to play this kind of pattern or whatever, and I start analysing teams, uh, which never happened before. I was just used to just sit and watch it and go, you know, no, this is good <laughs> or not watching Rovers. <laughs> I think even from that, you know, from their early days as well, and into. You know, obviously, we're, we're both at the other side of the fence now, but um, growing into that, you know, we've been on the, on the side of touchlands, and you can see how that sort of passion has grown over time. You know, and, and how you have enjoyed the you know the game of coaching as opposed to playing. Because I think in the early days you used to get really frustrated. Uh, yeah, like, like I said earlier, I couldn't understand how the skill level wasn't where I'm used to it being. I couldn't understand how players didn't know. Stuff I just assumed the new. It took me a while to register that it comes over time and with experience. I'm a lot more relaxed now about it. Um, I understand, you know, these these are 16, 17 year old, but I was no expert at that age. Um, so yeah, I'm a lot more relaxed now than I used to be. It used to, you know, frustrate me quite a bit. Now I understand that people make mistakes. I want them to make mistakes. I enjoy when they make mistakes because then you've got something to learn next week. Just on the mis making mistakes, you had days at OKR uh, with Rob and, and, and Pete. Did you, you know, what was that like when you went for, for dinner at Lamworth? In the, was, that <laughs> <laughs> was that my first ever day, Rob? It was your first day. <laughs> my first day work, working with the youth development at Rovers. Um, we went to Lamworth, which is a calf replacing Hull, East Hull. Pete, Pete Graben or Robert had suggested we go there for for some lunch and uh, liquid lunch, as they said. So I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. We're going for a few beers over at lunchtime. This is this is my kind of area uh, area here. So I'm stood behind Rob in the queue, and I see this pint go on the bar, pint of beer, and I thought, wow, yes, we're having a good swill. <laughs> <laughs> So the landlady, the lady asked me what I want, and I ordered myself a pint of Carlin, 
And then Rob picks his water up, what he'd got in the pack. The beer was actually for the customer before Rob. <laughs> I'd got myself a Carlin. Rob had got himself a water and Pete had got orange cordial. And... <laughs> what do you mean you don't have a beer at lunch? <laughs> I drank my pint, no. Brilliant. 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 Yeah, what the things we can't talk about them on here. Just looking at, obviously, you touched on when he was at Leeds and coming from the system at Leeds and when he was at West Hull um, and getting spotted and getting scouted and obviously working within the systems now. How has the academy system changed since you came through? Uh, I think. I think there's been a few changes. I think the main change that I recognise is the selection criteria for academies from back when I was that age, which you're talking 20, 21 years ago. Um, there was no scholarships back then. Uh, we've had discussion before. It was all based around schools rugby. So you played for your school in a competition in Hull. Then they picked Hull schools out of that. It was a selection for Hull schools. You got picked for Hull schools. You played in a competition around Yorkshire against Leeds, Halifax, um, Featherston, you know, etc. That was like a league table there. So you'd play them on a weekend. And then from that, you got selected or not selected for Yorkshire and the North. And they played a tri-series tri against Lancashire in the South or something. And then from that, you got picked for England. And along the way, you'd have scouts at all these games. Um, and of course, you still played for your amateur team as well. And then, if you was good enough, if they wanted you, they'd seen enough of you in these school games to ask you to go to the academy. And that's what happened. We played Leeds, whole schools against Leeds at Leeds. And uh, I remember Dean Bell being on the sideline. He was on a hill with Bob Pickles watching the game. And because I remember seeing him, thinking that's Dean Bell. You know, I was in awe. And I must have played a good game because it it was the week after when I got my letter inviting me to this training weekend. Um, and that was the that was the different main difference. Now, obviously, you have scholarships, and which you know, for me personally, I think it was better back then. What you find now is you're scrapping over kids at 14 years old, and it's particularly in Hull. You know, there's only so many to go around. There's now two teams again, uh, and who knows who's going to make it at 14? You don't know who's going to make it at 14. The best kid at 14 very rarely will be the best kid at 21. So. You know, for me, the selection criteria back then was better. Um, I think another thing that's changed from my experience in the academy then and now is within the sessions, back then it was a lot more drill-based, a lot more um, static kind of stuff. Whereas now it's more, and rightly so for me, it's more games-based stuff. So it's about more discovery, um, more games where you putting constraints in and things like that, which again, I, I think is better now than it was back then. Uh, things was never explained why, you know, back then for me, you was told to do something, we're going here and then we're doing this and then we're doing that. And it was never, it was never explained or you never found out why that had to happen. You just did it. And I think Leeds had a lot of success back then when I was that age, basically because of the players we had. It wasn't the systems we ran. It wasn't the skill we had. It was just it was your individual players. You know, any team, any team with Danny Ward and Matt Diskin and Rob Burrow and Kev Simfield, Jamie Jones, Gareth Carvel, Chev Walker, Richard Mavers, all that. You know, any team with them is going to do well. So I think we did well back then based on your individual players. Whereas now, you kind of you you're more team based um, because you spend more time together doing games and stuff. Is it Obviously, you mentioned there about you know games and, and that type of thing. You've really kind of refined your coaching pedigree, if you like, over the last six six years or so. Is that what falls in your coaching philosophy now around game stuff, or, or could you articulate it in, in any kind of way your philosophy to coaching? Yeah, uh, that's led on nicely because for me, what my philosophy is to let them play, let let players play. I believe you can get better at playing rugby league by playing rugby league, um, not. You know, not by standing in a square, not by doing something static. I can pass the ball against the wall and I have the best technique in the world. Put some pressure on that. And for me, it's about adding pressure. Um, and you'll see what my skills are like then. 
Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm very much games games based belief in my coaching philosophy. I like to play a lot of games, uh, and for me, I like to work backwards. So I look at the outcome of what I want to achieve, whether that be within the session, within the week, within the drill or the game. And I work backwards. So what rules can I put in place or what constraints can I put in place to try and achieve that outcome? Uh, and also let the players you know, discover stuff. Go out there and play and, and try hand and, and work out what works for you. Um, the biggest thing I like to try and get my players to do is to, is to work out why you do stuff. The biggest question in the game is why. And if you don't know your why, then you're going to struggle. Because I can go and tell them, to attack a post and then go here and then go there and go there. If they don't know why, they're never going to do it properly. They'll just do it. Um, you need to kind of impart onto your team or your players, you know, work out why. Why do you do it? What are you looking for? What is it you want to achieve here? Why are you doing that? Why did you do that? What were you thinking there? Um, that's, that's kind of my philosophy around coaching. Um, How do you think that... Um... Affects your sessions. How do players buy into that when you're really engaging them with them kind of questions? I think they love it. I think they love it because everyone wants to play games. Don't you? Mm -hmm. I find I always enjoy playing rugby because that's my passion. You play rugby, you, you want to play. You don't want to. And this is me criticizing anyone in particular. You don't. You don't want to stand on a cone. You don't want to stand in a queue. You don't want to stand around. You want to you want a ball in your hand. You want players running at you. You want to you want to make a decision. You want to you want to sweat. You know what I mean. You want to get out of breath, don't you? Um, so I think that engages players straight away. And then if you if you're questioning them at the end or even at the beginning, but you're asking them questions rather than telling them the answers, you find that you get more back from the players anyway because they're having to think, and you'll find that they start correcting each other. If one player gives an answer and it's not not very correct, someone else might just chip in and say, oh, well, no, I, th I think this or that. And straight away, you get engagement from the players. Uh, and I think once you've cracked that nut, you're okay. Your players, will, uh, you'll tend to work a bit harder. You have a better relationship with them and they have a better relationship with each other. Spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's great. I think that's excellent. That. I think just... We've spoke before, and Rob, haven't we, about the amount of kind of evidence that, that backs that up. And I think it's to change what we do at coaching is a brave thing to do. But sports science has evolved dramatically over the years, yet coaching, we can't just accept that it, it doesn't need to. I think the way you engage with players and how you let them discover from themselves, I don't think we need to shy away from that. Because sometimes you maybe think, as a coach, you have to tell to be, you know, or, or what's the word? authoritarian but I think it is important you know that, that they're involved in that process why wouldn't it be and we get it wrong mm -hmm. we don't know all the answers they might help oh. us <laughs> oh, sorry oh. I, I don't know what you do <laughs> <laughs> but by asking them you're putting the onus on them as well so we might not be sure we're not out there are we we're not the ones playing the Absolutely. game we have to find out what they're feeling and thinking and, and wanting and stuff like that. Me telling them is not going to have the same effect as them telling me. Mm. So I, I always find, you know, and you, if you ask the right questions, you get the right answers. And, but it's stuff they know anyway. Absolutely. You're just reaffirming what you know and what they know. You're just saying it out loud effectively. Yeah, I think what you were speaking about earlier was answering a question about systems as well, which completely agree with where the system was probably better then but the coaching was, you know, coming from a different angle. You know, it was coming from drill, like drills based. Whereas now, the system's probably slightly uh, diluted. But you know, the coaching's, you know, probably more uh, conducive to play development, isn't it? Really, the way you're trying to go about stuff. Yeah, I think so. But then, being coached by Dean Bell in the academy and Mick Cook after it was, it was quite, um, quite authoritarian. Like Danny said. Uh, now it's a little bit, you still got that authority because you coach anyway, but it's a little bit more open. You, you're vulnerable, you're showing some kind of vulnerability by asking questions and not not being a dictator and standing and saying, do this, that, 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 that. You're putting a lot of ownership on the players and I think they enjoy having that. 
most yeah. of them do anyway. Some you still find some that'll shy away and stand out the back and put their head down, and it's it's up to the coach then to kind of pick them out and maybe not embarrass them in front of anyone, but to try and prize them into into kind of coming forward and putting their head up and engaging them as well. Yeah, because I think the biggest thing is that a lot of time would be, you know, for all of us, I'm sure, happy with them being able to explain it rather than execute it. You know, the explanation is what we're after. You know, we, can, we can work on the execution later on, can't we? Yeah, go and fail. Go and discover. Go and play. Uh, if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. We'll try again. If you get it wrong for a lack of effort, that that's when I, I can't quite fathom it and I can't accept. I, I, you know, it's something I can never, ever compromise on is, is, is understanding the lack of effort I can't I just can't get made around I never probably will um, but if you if you're making mistakes through trying how can anyone be upset with that what do we, what I don't want you to go into your shell and carry the ball just put the ball under your wing and run hard you know what I mean I want you to find out what works for you change your carry work out have you got an offload is there something there that you can do um, you've got to try these things to know if you can do them I can't get upset with that. Yeah, exactly. With all that in mind, we've all got one. You know, a, a drill that we go to. So in our back pocket, one that we uh, fall on if we if we're uh, need to pull something out. What is your go-to drill or session? Tennis. <laughs> <laughs> My worst uh, nightmare. <laughs> drill I, I always like, and I think the players like. It. We did it a lot, particularly at City Hall as well. Is is an error-free game. We play a game called the error-free game. And it is exactly what it says on the tin. You go out and if you make an error, the error doesn't count. So trying to get the players to express themselves, go out and do a flip pass or through your legs or around the back or whatever it looks like. Go out and try it. And if you make an error, we'll just put the ball down. You play the ball from there and, and the tackle count carries on. It's just trying to promote some kind of skill and let the players play with no fear. There's, no, there's not going to be a turnover or a scrum or anything like that. Um, and you find they get players engaged because they can go and do what they want and they, some of them get a little bit silly and try American football passes and stuff like that. Um, but you also find that they start laughing and joking around with each other and you know taking the mickey. And If you play that early in your session, you get them engaged. And, uh, I find it works a lot. So that's probably my go-to, go-to drill slash game. Nice. Uh, it's quite fun. Yeah, but it's well, it creates randomness, doesn't it? And chaos. And you, you see some of the best tries in Super League can be caused out of a bit of random acts and things. And, you know, somebody catches it above the head with one hand and flicks it behind the back and scores in the corner. They're beautiful to watch. And, and oh, that's what that point breeds. That's what everyone likes to watch, isn't it? That's what, mm. that's what you watch the game for. You want to see some skill. You don't want to see a team of robots. Um, I think the game's going away, particularly the English game, Super League. It, it's it's promoting attack. It promotes a lot of that stuff. Uh, it's just doing dance with coaches to kind of get that into your sessions. And that you know that's the way that I find it gets us going straight away. Is there is there any major barriers you can see within elite talent development in systems? I think the biggest one that I've come across over the last five six years is the participation level. I think that's a massive barrier that. We've all said it many times that back in our day, our day, there were so many players and so many teams and now there just isn't any there or as many there. Um, you know, When I was 16, 15, there was three leagues of teams. Now you struggle to get you know, six teams. Um, why that is, uh, there's, a, there's, a, you know, there's probably a science or research around many reasons. Uh, different influences, different sports, different, you know, there's technology in there. But I, I think that's a barrier. I know the stuff that we're doing in Hull, you two, you guys in particular, um, to get the numbers up has been fantastic so far and, it, and it's working. But I think there's still a lot more to go game-wide to get more players. Obviously, more players, you're going to get better players, I think. Um, I think that's a massive barrier to development. I think another one is around coach education. All the stuff that we're talking about today, that's what we do, but I think there's there's a lot of coaches out there that, that don't do that kind of stuff, that are setting the ways and or maybe they'll watch Wigan Warriors on Sky on a Friday and they'll try and replicate that in the session 
with their teams. And again, that's not me picking out any individuals. It's just, I think I think the amateur coaches, the community coaches we have in in the game at the minute are fantastic because they're giving the time up for free. Um, it's around educating, you know, what's best to develop the, the players. Uh, so I think for me, them two are, are pretty big barriers to overcome. But I know there's a lot of work going on to overcome them, and you know, hopefully we will get there. Um, it's going to it's going to be a process, particularly in the situation we're in now. But you know, hopefully in the years to come. I think coach education is a massive one. I think there are, there are some systems in place there to provide it. But like what we spoke about, there were players. Coaches are the same. Everybody's different. So you, how do you expect to go on a particular level one, two, three coaching course and expect that to? I mean, yes, it makes sure everybody's safe and, and the sessions are good. But the same way one player would like to engage in games and training, a coach would want to learn different things. And you, I'm sure people that have listened to this today pick up some things off you, Jason, what you're talking about, and then go and apply that in their coaching and yes it's informal but this this type of thing content out there for coaches I think is invaluable and and the community coach like you said I do give up the time they're as thirsty for knowledge as anybody else it's just having access to that and um, I think that it is a a barrier it does need to be supported it is yeah like you said everyone's individual we're we're not experts or you might think you are no 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 no, no. (laughs) that that was a bit (laughs) no 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 (laughs) Expert. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. You know, we, we just have our own beliefs and philosophies, and that—that's the beauty of coaching. It's different. It's opinions. Rugby league's about absolutely. Uh, one player might be loved by the coach at a certain club, might be hated by a coach at another club. That—that's what player movement is. That's why you get player movement. Same with coaches. Coach might not work out one club goes to another club and wins trophies. It's just the way it is. Everyone has a different opinion and. No one, like I said, no one wants to be robots. No one wants a team of robots. And, and coaching is exactly the same, I believe. Just because I, I have that kind of philosophy doesn't mean that someone else will. They'll have their own ideas and their own knowledge and, and experiences to put into their own practice. And I think one of the things that's a consistent to success, what we, we hear when we're speaking to people and like yourself, is work ethic. Now, regardless of what your philosophy is, if you're consistently applying your work ethic, you're going to get somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I hammer this to my player all the time. Everyone, every player I coach, okay, I know, pretty much, is a better player than me at that age because I've got more skill. The only thing I have different or hired different is that I had a massive work ethic. What I tell them is if you're better already with that skill and you've got the work ethic that I had or that you could have, imagine where you could go. I, played, I got a career out of having a good work ethic. Imagine the career you could have if you've got that work ethic, but you've got the skill to back it up as well, you know, the world's your oyster and it's the same for, not just OKR, it'll be LFC and Wigan and all the rest of them team. That work ethic has got to be number one priority for me. Just carrying on on that theme then, you know, what do you look for in a player, you know, besides that, besides that work ethic? Um, determination, I think, is a, is a big one. And it's not just determination that you're going to hurt someone or you're going to run the ball over the top of someone. It's a, I think you see it in some players, a, a, a determination within themselves to do the best. So you can see how mad they get if they, if they do something wrong or and make an error or whatever. You can see how mad they get when they miss a tackle because they're determined to do the best. I think that's what I, I like to see. Uh, but there's a, you know, there's a lot of other stuff like, you know, um, physical attributes and, and obviously gameplay attributes but for me effort and determination are probably the two biggest things that I notice or look for in a player alongside that work I think it's, it's a personal thing determination it's not necessarily a, a physical thing it's, it's you can see the mindset that they have within themselves to, to do the best and I love it I love watching that kind of stuff at any age from any player What are the biggest lessons, Jace, that you've that you've learned along the way from a player biggest, to, to a coach? Yeah, the biggest lesson I learned, I have learned so far, I think, from playing to coaching, is you can't you can't always be involved in the, in the banter kind of side of it. You can't always be friends um, because some people take it wrong. 
I, I have a quite, for me, this is only for me personally, I have quite a dry sense of humour and I'm pretty sarcastic and cutthroat. Um, but you can't do that with, with, particularly with, you know, 16, 17 year old lads because they take it to heart. So what, whereas I can, I, I can have someone call me any kind of name and I'll laugh it off. Some players can't have that kind of banter. And it took me a while to work that out. That I, You have to step back. You're authoritative now. You can't be the friends because when you make a tough decision, it makes it even harder when they think that you're friends. Um, and it puts you in a compromising position, I think, when you, you know, when you, when you're being friendly one minute and then the next minute you're kind of dropping them from team or you're having a tough conversation. Um, that's what I, you know, that's probably the biggest lesson from playing when everything's about banter and the changing room laughs and jokes to, to coaching and having to step out of it. And I find it quite hard sometimes because I just want to be in the middle cracking bad jokes and <laughs> rubbish banter, but still want to be doing it. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the coach-athlete relationship's key to success. And like you, yeah. you said there, when, you, when you're coaching them players and the questions you ask, that builds trust and, and that's very conducive to player development. And then the, the banter side of it comes, I think rugby league players in general are very different animal out there. I think that yeah. you know, we've all grown up with rugby league playing the game or whatever. Is that a certain part of camaraderie that is needed to get back, you know, in the office against peers, that's probably okay because, you know, it's trying to get that, going out of your office into coaching, it's trying to leave it behind. But, uh, you know, whether it's a, a desired uh, quality or not, rugby league has a sense of humour that is probably close to knuckle at times. We are. We, we go very close to the bone, always have done. And, and you find some players who aren't, don't have that humour get, get um, spotted very quick and the worst thing you can do I think as a rugby league player is show that you don't have that humour because it's just open season on you then I've seen it happen um, if you don't have that, that same humour and that same banter level that everyone else has got you're just open slaver <laughs> and like I said that's what's, that's what's been a struggle for me uh, especially early on is, is not being able to be involved in the changing room kind of stuff Office stuff's different mm-hmm. because we're all grown men, and and you know you're not you're not uh, an authoritative figure when the players are involved. But when when it's involving players and young players as well, um, you know, grown men's different. I think when you're talking about 15, 16, 17 year old boys, uh, you have to be very, you have to be careful, and probably something that I've had to learn along the way, and I've had a few. Uh, times where I've failed. I'm glad, I'm glad you've learned that. Good. <laughs> yeah. I, still, I still remember a kid uh, hammering you, you on your first day. That's all. <laughs> yeah, well, there's another example. First, first one of my days at OKR Academy uh, in the youth development, and we'd gone to South Oldness, Rob. Yeah, yeah. South Oldness School to do a session there, and one of the players had another, one of the school kids and he must have been 15, 14. He had a LFC shirt on and intelligent over to us at the end and, and said something like Rovers are crap. Ooh. <laughs> so I just, I hammered him and said, yeah, so you're crap or something like that. I don't know. Brilliant. I so no, no, it was in banter. It was really poor. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say what I said on here. <laughs> well, you know, I nailed him and he went, and obviously we're driving out the uh, car park as he's telling his teacher <laughs> he's telling his teacher you know, that's a lesson that's why I had to learn and I don't think we ever got in trouble for that no we never no. <laughs> there's, no, there's been a few along the way and it's it's something that is probably a lesson from from playing to, to coaching that um, I struggle with I've struggled <laughs> And that's, that's a danger making that transition from, from being a player into the same environment but as a coach it's, it's, it can be dangerous and like you say as long as you learn from them the mistakes and move forward you're alright yeah just a last question to, to wrap it up if you could ask any player or coach past or present any question what would it be and why oh um I don't think I'd ask. I don't think there's a specific person I'd speak to. But what 
I'd probably speak to some of the former players that have, that have been around or played with at, at Rovers or Leeds or whatever, and just ones that have fell away a little bit, ones that started off you know, on fire with so much potential, but then uh, fell out of the game for whatever reason. And I, I'd probably ask them why, going on the theme of today, why they never give everything they possibly could every day. Some players that I've seen come through system systems at Rovers, some players at City of All Academy, who, who just had so much potential to get where they where they should be and, and fall away for for reasons that they, they just don't want to do it enough. They just don't want to give everything they can for them few years to to get to where they want to be. I'd probably ask some of them, you know, why the hell did you not do that? Because you could be out there now in front of thousands, earning a good wage, um, you know, playing the spot that you love. But instead, you you chose to take the easy route and miss reps in the gym, or you know, take it easy on the field, or go out with your mates on the drink, stuff like that. I'd, I'd probably go around them and just say, "Listen, how stupid are you?" You know, players, like I said earlier, it's far. There's a lot of players who was far better than me as a player, but they just made the wrong choices. Outstanding. Uh, just to sort of wrap it up, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great to catch up as well. Um, I think there's some fantastic messages in there that can you know, benefit a whole whole range of coaches and people that hopefully listen to it. So from, from me personally, thanks for coming on, Jace. Thanks, boys. Really enjoyed yeah, it. Cheers, cheers. Thanks for your time. Okay. It's been, cool. been great talking to you and you know, good luck with everything in the future. Cheers, fellas. I'll see you soon.